This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. Where's your innovation, huh? Sequels suck. Do the same thing. Everyone's happy. It's all about money, boys! Here we go again. Hey guys, and welcome to this special Franchise Detours episode. In these episodes, we take a quick break from covering franchise to talk about just about any movie we want. I'm your host, Gabe Green, and actually right here with me is my co-host, James Hamrick. What's up, man? Nothing much. What is, like, is this the third time we've recorded in the same? Yeah, third. We did Justice League, which we pretend didn't happen. That was t- the end of 2017. Yeah. Uh, then, then, we talk- then we talked about uh, Iron Man. Iron Man, last time I was down here for <laughs> Godzilla King of Monsters. Um... And now I'm back down here just for what well, we were. <laughs> That's a sad story. We were actually we planned this trip around uh, to watch Death of the Nile because on our first trip together we watched uh, Murder on the Orient Express, but then they uh, delayed it. But this trip stayed the same, so we're here, not talking about Death of the Nile, sadly. Um, but since it is October, even though I this episode might actually not come out in October, probably won't even come out in October. But since we're recording in October, we're talking about a scary horror film, and this week we're going to be talking about. The, uh, the horror classic, The Exorcist. And I, I think this one's going to be coming out before our Born Legacy episode. We're going to be both recording both of these episodes today. Uh, maybe that one will come out first. Depends which one I edit. This one's shorter, so I'll probably edit this one first. So uh, if, uh, if you enjoy this podcast, I want to ask you guys, if you uh, if you enjoyed it too, please head over to iTunes and take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes. Um, so this is probably going to be kind of a short episode. I really did. We just kind of watched it last night. I didn't take any notes. So I don't know if we're going to get too deep into it, but it was fun. So there's probably some stuff to talk about. Um, so real quick, just some a uh, little bit of stats before we move into talking about the film proper. Um, so The Exorcist was directed by William Friedkin. It's based on the 1971 novel The Exorcist by William Peter Blatty. Uh, Blatty also wrote the screenplay for the film. Uh, it stars Ellen Burstyn, Jason Miller, Linda Blair, Max von Sydow, Lee, Lee J. Cobb, Kitty Wynn, and Jack McGowan. It was shot by Owen Roisman, and the music was composed by Jack Nietzsche. It was released on December 26, 1973, and it earned $329 million on its $11 million budget. That's a lot by 1973 standards. And then, even crazier, it, it earned another $112 million when the director's cut was released again in 2000, which... Does that happen for anything besides, like, Star Wars Special Editions? Yeah, I can't think of anything. That's like, insane. Like, that's a that's a, a smaller new release, you know? Mm-hmm. So now it's, it's bringing its, it's worldwide total is now $441 million. It's a lot of money for, you know, an adult drama. Uh, and it was also very highly successful on the uh, awards circuit. It earned 10 Academy Award nominations, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Actress for Ellen Burstyn, Supporting Actress for Linda Blair, uh, Supporting Actor for Jason Miller, Best Cinematography, Editing, Sound, and Art Direction, and it won for Adapted Screenplay and Sound. <sighs> Horror, movie. <laughs> Horror movies rarely get that kind of a claim nowadays. All right, so James, uh, this was my first time watching it, but you, uh, when, was, when did you first see this one? Uh, so I watched this about a month ago. Uh, I want to say, but it was the theatrical cut. I didn't realize that HBO had only had the theatrical cut. I noticed, you know, like there's the the movie came and went with no spider walk, and so I was like, oh well, I guess I watched the, the theatrical cut. So now I've got to, I can't finish October without watching the director's cut and all of the like the iconic. Of the, I mean, that moment's iconic, and people think of the 
the quick frames of the faces and stuff. And so I wanted to rewatch it. And I also watched it by myself at midnight and there were moments <laughs> where like I'd, I'd flip the light on because like the movie's freaky, but by yourself, just in a quiet apartment, it, it just, it, it gets infinitely scarier. <laughs> so I'm like, well, we'll flip the lights on real quick for a, for a few moments. So I kind of compromised the proper horror viewing. <laughs> uh, so, so we ended up watching it last night which is now my first time for the director's cut, and I guess technically the second time just for The Exorcist in general. Yeah, so this was my first viewing with the director's cut. I'm interested to go see the theatrical now just to see, because you know that's the edition that won all the acclaim, won all the awards, and made all that money and was the only cut until, I guess, 20 years ago. 2000 still seems feels closer than that. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, we're old. Um, yeah, and... You know, you, I'm always, there's always a little bit of fear going back watching these classics because there have been enough that just did nothing for me. And I'm watching the, the mic is rattling right now. So I hope it's not making any sound of the recording um, up on the table. Sorry if you heard that. Uh, there's always a little bit of fear going back when you, because some of them just don't at least hold up for, hold up for me. Uh, but this one is good. It's really good, which is, it's always nice to like when you watch it. I just, just saw The Godfather in theaters recently. Like, Okay, that was good. Okay, I can hold my head up in public still. Uh, yeah, it's... I, what surprised me most... I, which I, this is going to be a very loose discussion. We're not going to do the, the normal thing where we just go through all the characters and themes and all that. But what surprised me the most was how mundane it was outside of the specific... And we're, this is going to be full, full spoilers for the film if you haven't seen it. Um, just how mundane it was outside of the specific context of the bedroom... You know, with Linda Blair and all her crazy makeup and all the, you know, the, the, the effects, the lighting effects and all that stuff they're doing outside of that room. It's very mundane and normal. And it was, it was, I, it was interesting that this is known as one of the ter- most terrifying films ever made because I don't, I didn't find it horribly scary. It was very disturbing and very unnerving when you're in there. But there's an interesting thing like every time they left the bedroom, normality returned and you could breathe so it was it had this interesting release mechanism where every like they go into the bedroom it's like entering hell and then they come out again and it's normal and like you know you know if i walk out of this house i will be safe like the 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 demon the spirit the evil spirituality that's here is all contained within this little girl so our concern with is is only so far as our concern for her as a character and you know obviously her mother who you know trying to save her but that was just interesting like for me, it wasn't like the most terrifying experience ever because it was there was always it was always that escape route. I knew like they're gonna leave the bedroom and we're gonna be okay. Yeah, it's I th- I think something you notice a lot with uh, scary movies is that the ones that get a lot of acclaim outside of just the horror community are usually uh, like. To, to classify them solely as horror is is like very reductive like this is a this is a family drama first and foremost you know it's it's a it's this mother uh trying to fight for her daughter it's this priest having a crisis of faith and it plays out like a drama for what feels like mm-hmm. like 80 percent of its runtime you know like there's a lot of uh we're just cutting between a lot of outside scenes of like people having conversations on sidewalks and in apartments and 
like, you know, we, we watched their journey grow. And, like, the linchpin to everything is this horrific room where, like, just all hell is literally breaking loose in there. Uh, and that's kind of, like, what's uniting the all of these disparate subplots. Um, but for much of the front time, like you said, it's it's more of a drama than than anything. Uh, but I do think that also makes those scenes in the room that much more uh, terrifying. And because like it's it's not a jump scare movie. It's not it's not even meant to make you scream. Like you you can easily get through this whole thing without like jolting. It's it's more the the feeling. Like there's just sitting in the room with Reagan on that bed is just uncomfortable. Like it's the the atmosphere in there you you feel wrong for being involved almost in the movie what mm-hmm. like they you hear a lot about it about like the like what is scary like and why we have kids in scary movies is because we associate children with some level of innocence and so the juxtaposition of like this innocent 12 year old with just horrific demonic activity and like like just vile language it's it's unsettling more than outright scary what was surprising is how transgressive it felt even today and we've this is it's become a thing you know swearing kids hit girl good boys a couple a year or two ago like the, there's a whole genre genre of comedy which is like oh you know it's the raji comedy but now it's with kids like it's become so much less so but even then and this is an R-rated movie, so like there was already that language was being used previously in the film. But when she just explodes and goes into like vile sexual language, it is so disturbing and so uncomfortable. Because and I think that that was it was that those that first half hour of kind of normality was really important because you know it gave us a chance to get to know Reagan just as a normal you know nice little girl, and then to see that that's. And, the, I can't oversee just how effective that, that slow descent was where we just go to so many doctors. It's like the same things over and over and over again. It's, it's probably a good half hour where from where like we first start seeing problems with her until she's actually the Linda Blair we all know crawling on the ceiling, you know, spider walking down the stairs. And it's that slow descent. And it's interesting, the, pers- the way the perspective is firmly rooted in the mother and the priest. So it's we're very much kind of on the outside of it and through the perspective of this terrified mother who's seeing her daughter just descend into whatever it is. It's just very unnerving. Like even though if the most of the most of the horror is contained in that room, there's still there's still that that just feeling of like we don't this is something we don't understand. And one thing the big theme that stuck out to me on this first viewing was the the modern world coming up, in fact, like basically exploring the limits of modernity and just, it, we're even more secular today than we were in the 1970s. And just that notion of, that, you know, she, the mother isn't religious. There's a, there's a priest, obviously, but most of the time we're spent with doctors and everyone's like, there's got to be some kind of scientific explanation. And like, they, they don't even, like, they don't even bring up the, the possibility of exorcism until like 20 minutes into her crawling on the ceiling. It's like, it's very much like this. this, this kind of, I don't. I don't know what William Friedkin believes, um, or what the author believes. I don't, I'm not sure. Like, and we're both Christians, so like, this theme obviously stuck out very much to me. But I would be very curious to hear what Friedkin and the writer what their perspective on this was, because it kind of seemed to be like a rebuke of just the 
this pure secular majority like you know we, we everything is explained it's all science we, we know everything like kind of the, that the arrogance that kind of can come with scientific progress yeah and and i feel like that goes from being just maybe something tangential or like we need we need this doubt to facilitate the plot. We can't have them go straight to exorcism, but it it feels like a much more intentional uh, theme running throughout. Whenever you know we get to the priest, and uh, she's you know she asks, well, what will we need? He's like, well, a time machine. You know, first of all, to send you back to whenever they did this, and like the you know this idea that even if the exorcism is a thing that only the Catholics do, but even they like. It's the thing they put in the closet and hide away because they're embarrassed about, you know, like him saying, I've never known a priest to have done that. Um, And so, yeah, even this this idea of total secularism is seeping into the Catholic Church. And, you know, all of spiritual advice has kind of given way to what is purely like just just like psychiatry. Um, And it's, you know, it's. It's not a total like re- like angry rebuke of all of that. It's just like what you said. It, it feels like it's it's acknowledging the arrogance of thinking that we do understand everything. Um, and one of the points that you brought up uh, was like it was after we had watched it was just how limited uh, Max von Sydow's uh, character was, and the fact like in terms of plot, the film could have pretty much fallen just as it did completely without his character and little would have changed. And I didn't really think about that the first time. And I was thinking about, like, I really like this character and I was thinking about why do I want to make sure he's still in this because of how limited he is, because I feel like most of the arcs uh, would end up playing out the same. But I, I think one thing that I really do like about him, in addition to just the gravitas he as an actor brings, is it feels like he carries the authority of that theme. Like you've got this world and this priest that's th- that treat the subject as so foreign and ancient. And I think bringing him in at the end is bringing this level of credibility and authority to this idea of something wholly other. Yeah, it was interesting because like listening to the, the general cultural conversation, the actors that I always hear about are obviously Linda Blair. Um, wait, is it, what's her? Is it Linda Blair's the actress? Yeah, she plays Reagan. Reagan. Yeah, okay. I, 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 I get the I get the the character and actress's name mixed up. Yeah, so like you hear about her and then Max von Sydow, and it was surprising. Like he's pretty much absent for like the middle hour and a half of the film. Um, and but obviously he's fantastic. The way he kind of comes in with like the full authority of the church, the, the he carries just this austerity and weight as they go into the exorcism, and it does it very much changes the tone. It, it from this just this very scary, like we don't understand to this almost like cosmic battle of good versus evil when it's them two in the room together. Um, yeah, I, I that's definitely I really appreciated that that kind of. The, what he brought on that front. That's, so just talking about like just the the room itself and the way it shifts when he arrives, that is something that I I liked a lot too. Like where the the room is terrifying before he shows up, but when he does it, it's not that it's any less disturbing, but it's it's not more engaging. But you let you let your 
I don't know if I want to say we're, let your guard down. We're not as helpless anymore. Yeah, like it, it feels like it, should, it feels like these two things coming to a head. And something that like I I noticed more this time was uh, was that the movie, despite him being gone for so long, the movie treats this fight like their final moment as uh, like this this battle that's been coming to a head you know like it the movie opens with him in iraq and that's the it's one of the few things i preferred in the theatrical cut i like opening in iraq a bit more than opening on just the kind of montage of of the city and their house uh i, I to me it's just it's better opening like striking imagery to to start the film with but you know we have the dig site and spend like 10 minutes with him just walking the streets freaking out and drink like it's just it's clearly affected him and and the shots of him looking at the statue and then like the dogs eating each like it's just it's very unsettling and you know he's shaken by it and then when he finally returns to the plot and he walks in what i think what really made it a lot more obvious that like this is something that has been coming to a head was i thought reagan just screamed whenever he enters, but she screams Marin. Like she screams his name when he enters into the house. And so like, even the demon is aware that like, the like these two entities are, are about to confront each other. Mm-hmm. And speaking of the sequences in, where, where was it, Iraq? Iraq, yeah. The, the lack of music was really striking. Like there are very long sequences where just people kind of wandering around and just even though it's, it can be completely normal stuff, there's there's no music, and it just it gets under your skin. Or something feels like some something's about to jump out at us. We unearthed something we shouldn't have. Yeah, so the, the, the moments where the music does come in, it gets intense. They're really earned because we've had all that build up of just uncomfortable silence. Yeah, uh, I think the last thing for me that that I really latched onto. Well, I I mean I I love this movie, so I latch onto most things about it. But one of the things that really sticks out to me is uh, Father Karras's journey, like his his crisis of of faith. Something that like just stood out to me more watching it the second time. A, a lot of my first viewing was not about dissecting the film. It was just about like I'm <laughs> watching this by myself, and if I can get through it, I'll get to tell people I got through it. But uh, that's I I much enjoyed this viewing way more because. You know, it was I was more focused on it as a film uh, and less on just like, a, let's see if I can make it through the night. Um, but with with his character, you know, he's he's being uh, confronted with his own doubt and his own failures and like his his seeming failure with his mother. Uh, this idea that he feels ill equipped for for this vocation that he's called to. Uh, and I, just, I thought it was a, a really cool idea that the resolution to this Christ of faith he was having was essentially in him becoming like theologically what we'd call like a, a type of Christ this this character who is kind of metaphorically taking on the sin of uh, this other character in death and like it feels especially intentional considering I think the the scenes we have of him immediately prior to this is him, uh, giving communion, you know, this this last supper before he before the exorcism actually happens. Um, so just as a character, I find him 
incredibly like interesting and, and really fascinating to watch over the course of the film. And what's crazy is this was Jason Miller's first, not just first film role, first role, at least it's his very first IMDb credit. So I'm assuming it's his first TV film, any kind of on-screen role. He's a, a playwright, theater actor, and he's really, really good. Yeah. Um, and I like he, you know, he's just this really tiny little man, and he looks like really sad, so freaking sad. Like he could play like the character in Taxi Driver. Like, it has that kind of same vibe of the, the very miserable city kind of oppressive atmosphere. Um, he, he's great. What one complaint I would have about I, like I love what the ending is thematically. I feel like I wish the climax had a bit more build up, like because. We, like we, they go in for the first round, you know. They have the confrontation. They come out to rest, and then the priest. The, I'm, I'm assuming the older priest knew he was dying when he goes back in there, which we don't. And he goes to pray, and, and he comes back in. Oh, he's dead. And at that moment is where he goes crazy, and he starts, you know, come into me, take, take me. And it, it's like thirty seconds. I don't think it's. I don't think it's even a minute from the moment he finds out the older priest is dead to where he jumps out the window. And it was the and up until he found that the priest was dead, it was still the movie was kind of going on a steady you know, normal course. Like it didn't, it just didn't feel like the climax kind of was built up to. I feel like, I wish we had a longer sequence of like like final combat between him and the de- demon before like the last resort is coming to me. Like if he tried to go it alone without the without the older priest, and it just wasn't happening, and like she was dying or something. And then he has to, you know, have a big moment of, t- you know, coming to me, then go out there. Like, just another couple minutes of just build up to that final ultimate sacrifice. Um, yeah, I, I could definitely agree with that. Uh, like, I like the subversion of him walking in and finding, like, just this, you know, this authority figure, this powerhouse of a person, like, is dead upon entering the room. Like, that, the the shock there, I think, is really effective. <gasps> And the image of Reagan just sitting on the bed, and just like curiously watching with her yeah. evil, like not angry, not like menacing, just kind of, was like a cat. Just, kind yeah, of just curious more than anything. I'm like, it's so creepy. Yeah. Like as he's just freaking out, trying to, you know, trying to resuscitate him. We, we've got like this, what feels like just a 10 second look of, of Reagan sitting on the edge of the bed. Like, yeah, like you said, like, not trying to, like, overtake him, not trying to do anything, but just watching. And it's it's almost worse that it doesn't even seem, like, the demon doesn't even feel, like, proud of it. It's just, it's a thing that happened, and I'm just kind of watching how this plays out. It's very unsettling. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I would agree that it does, like, I wish that he did try one more thing and it felt as if it was failing and you you get to the moment of like either I take this on myself or Reagan dies and that's whenever you know he he brings the demon to himself and and jumps out the window um because yeah like I, whenever at first even on the first viewing whenever it happened I was like oh like I I love like I love everything we got it's it's like watching a scene where all of the seconds in this I love I just wish there were some more, like, I wish I could insert, like, a minute and a half or two minutes in between these other things that mm. I love. Um, because there's nothing in the scene I dislike. I just, I do wish it was a little bit longer, maybe. Yeah. And my final thing is, 
And just how still how effective the gross stuff is. Like going back and watching some of these horror films, like slashers, you see you see the rubber skin, you see all the effects. It's 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 not like it's not scary. It's not even it's just kind of funny just how over the top the effects are in a lot of these older films. But and even though you can see the makeup, you can see it's not real. There's there, he does freaking does something to make it so wrong the vomit and uh, uh, there's so many just there's so many images that should not be in this film yeah the like you think of like the initial like throw up on his face but the like the moment with that green ooze that gets me the most is just whenever she's like lying on her side and it's just like it's like you left a jar or something open and it's just oozing out like she's lying on her on her the side of her face and it's just slowly trickling out of her mouth. It's so disgusting. Was all of that in that poor actress's mouth? Yeah. <laughs> like, how just... Was it like a hose under her face? I don't know. Yeah. And so much. And, the, like, the, the twist... The head twisting around is still, like, a disturbing effect to me. Like, I, I feel like that still... Still really holds up. And, like, her... Whenever she floats off the bed, that is... And, you know, like, they pull out the music and you just have this few seconds of just pure awe of of what is happening in front of your eyes. Mm-hmm. And like it's just it it's it's awesome to revisit this like how old is this now? Almost 1973. So that's almost 50 years old. Like that's it like it still just holds up like the it's still freaky the effects. I don't laugh at them. I'm still like, oh I don't like seeing that. And like even just the basic moment to moment direction is all very solid. Like it, it feels like a lot of thought went into the cinematography and editing and pacing. It's just a well structured film. And the makeup effects, the makeup effects guy is named Dick Smith. So, kudos to him. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's you know this is just a really quick review. So I think we kind of covered all of my original thoughts. And you know maybe sometime we'll get around to it. I mean it's, it's a franchise, so. That's true. Sometime we'll cover it on the on the on the podcast uh, proper. Um, yeah. So real quick, uh, how, what do you give this film out of five stars, James? So I think I do four and a half out of five. Uh, I I just I really really like it. I I love horror films that that with, with a lot of the ones that exist solely to be scary. Like I still really love those. Those are fun to watch in October, but the ones that like. I've, I'm a drama that happens to be disturbing. Like the, the ones that really feel like they they treat themselves seriously and there is there are thematic points being made and there is just drama at the at the core. There are, there are character arcs beyond simply like well the character has this arc because that that's what we take that's the journey we take characters on in a slasher or whatever. Like you know there's there's a lot of thought behind these people and and what's going on and what's being said with the film and and the direction. It's just it's it's a real movie and I, and I love scary movies that are also just real movies. So yeah, it's it's one of my favorites. And the seventies is just just an incredible decade for horror, and this is definitely one of the best. Yeah, I I, I give it four stars right now. Um, just a couple issues, like I said, like the the ending feeling a bit underwhelming. I think kind of the, the ab, general absence of Max von Sydow's character for most of the movie. And we watched the director's cut and it felt like a director's cut where like it was just a tad flabby in the middle. I felt like there were scenes where like, like you could have trimmed it down. 
Uh, I, I do definitely want to see the, the theatrical cut as well. Um, so yeah, it's a very good movie. I can I, honestly, I probably bump up the director's cut when I see it again. Usually, second viewings from here where everything really solidifies. But for right now, it's it's a four star movie for me. Uh, but still, just excellent. Um, so that was our review of The Exorcist. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, again, I'd ask you to please head over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. If you want to like us on Facebook, we're there as Franchise League Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram as at FranchisePod. And you can find all our other episodes at FranchiseLeaguePodcast.com. And where do people follow you, James? Uh, you can find me on Letterboxd. I am there as JL Hamry. It's J-L-H-A-M-R-I. Uh, and you can also find the both of us over on The Outer Rim, a Star Wars group. Uh, we're about to have a lot more to talk about come October 31st. Uh, very, very, is it October 30th? 30th. Is, okay. Yeah. The first episode of Mandalorian Season 2. So uh, we're probably going to be seeing a lot more activity on the on the group. Uh, so if you love Star Wars and you love talking about Star Wars and you want to break from all of the divisiveness, feel free to join us over there. I am also on Letterboxd, and there's Gabriel Green. You can find me on Instagram as Gabe the Great Green, and I have a YouTube channel called Greenery01, where I uh, where I make these uh, film-based music videos and trailer mashups and stuff like that. Um, so, as I said, I think this one's gonna come out before Born Legacy, so our next episode should be on the Born Legacy. And if it's not, it's not, and tough. <laughs> yeah. So uh, until next episode, we will see you when we see you.